Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome Podcast. Welcome to episode 19 of The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Now, I would love to tell you that I was off the last couple of weeks doing a deep dive into the newest research and science into personal development and reinvention, but... The truth is, I hammered out my last two weeks of summer vacation in northern Wisconsin. And as I said on Twitter at that time, if you have a problem with Wisconsin, you have a problem with you. And I'm standing by that. Now, with that said, I did take those two weeks off and I used the time to spend it with my family and friends and to gear up for the big push upon my return. Summer is ending. Kids are returning to school. The fall is coming and it is officially grind time. And it's time for all of us to take a good, hard look in the mirror, myself included. It was time for me to ask myself, am I really about this personal reinvention or am I simply hosting a new podcast? And if I'm saying that you all have to be brutally honest with yourselves, then I've got to do the same with myself. And while I think that I have made progress since I started the journey months ago, I think also I should be further along than I actually am. I will own that. I am getting better, but frankly, not quickly enough. And that's on me and only on me. So how about you? Where are you now in terms of your personal reinvention? Are you listening to this pod or are you actively participating and applying some of the principles that you're hearing week to week? Let's be real with one another. Let's hold each other accountable and let's keep that in mind. When we listen to today's guest, Scott Ruggles. Scott was a three sports star growing up in a small town in Massachusetts. The son of an iconic high school football coach, he went on to play college football, ultimately hoping to follow in his father's footsteps, which he did, landing a number of jobs in coaching, only to realize that was not necessarily his true calling or his true passion. Scott realized, and by the way, fairly late in the game, that he wanted to take the longest of long shots. He wanted to act. That was his dream. That was his passion. That was his true calling. So he quit a great job at Harvard. He packed up his car, and he made the biggest bet ever, the bet on himself. And he came here to Southern California to try to make it as an actor. It wasn't easy. It's a process that is not complete, but it is a true story of reinvention. It's Scott Ruggles' story, and it's coming at you right now on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. So, Scott, this is a podcast about reinvention and improvement, and if anybody embodies those things, it's definitely you. It is great to meet you. Great to have you on the Reinvention Project. Thank you so much for making time. How are things with you, Scott? Never going to complain, Jim. Uh, Life is good. Happy to be here. Good. All right. So now to fully understand your journey and your reinvention, we need to go back to the very beginning. You grew up in a small town in Massachusetts, the son of a highly successful football coach. So let me start right there. What was your childhood like, and what kind of life were you dreaming of growing up? Uh, Jim, I wouldn't trade my childhood for anything. Um, My sister and I were lucky enough to grow up around um, high school football and ice hockey program in a small town. And the only thing I wanted to do uh, when I was a young kid is play football, and then if that didn't work out, become a football coach. All right, so you start to work that, right? So you have a really nice high school career. You go on, you play college football. You played for your father. In your sophomore year, Scott, in college, you knew you wanted to get into coaching, so you actually wrote to hundreds of programs looking for an internship. How many schools actually responded? Not many. Uh, the, the two that responded were uh, Youngstown State, when Jim Trussell was the head coach, and Tim Murphy at Harvard. And you know, obviously, if I could predict the future at that point, I probably should have went and uh, worked for Coach Trestle. But at that point, I would have paid my own way to get to Youngstown, Ohio. And uh, Harvard was right up the street from where I was going to college. So I jumped on uh, to Coach Murphy's staff and was fortunate enough to meet some great people that have gone on to do some great things in, in pro college and every level of football. All right, so I'm kind of curious. Like, I mean, we all came up in, well, not all of us, but 
those of us who have similar stories or backgrounds came up in a similar way. I'm older than you, but when you say that you had two responses, like how many letters do you think you sent out? I mean, I probably sent a high sent to every one double A, one A, NFL and arena football team that I could get my hands on addresses. So well over a hundred. You know, you got a couple no's like the the generic, hey, thanks for trying, but not interested. But uh Coach Tressel and Coach Murphy were the two that that wrote back and obviously as a, a young college kid, I was grateful just to hear from two coaches of that level. All right. So at that point in your life, was the ultimate goal or dream to win a Super Bowl as a head coach, or was it in the back of your mind to win an Oscar as an actor? No, I wish, you know, we didn't have uh, opportunities like that growing up. It was just sports, right? It was nobody's fault, but I don't think we had any opportunities to do plays. So at that point in my life, it was, you know, you've thrown the ball to yourself thousands of times in the backyard. You've, you know, been around football your whole life. So it was about winning a Super Bowl and ultimately becoming a head football coach. All right, so let me just jump ahead a little bit and skip around because something did happen. I mean, that was the goal, and you were the son of an iconic coach. But at one point, your ex-wife sends a picture of you in the pool at the Hard Rock Cafe in Vegas to a casting company in Boston. What happened next? Yeah, I was coaching the quarterbacks at Central Connecticut. We just got off the road recruiting. I get a random phone call from uh, you know, a guy saying, hey, listen, uh, we're looking for alpha-type people um for a movie we'd love to have come audition i thought it was you know some kind of gag some kind of somebody joking around he said listen i don't know who you are but if you want to be an actor you should make this so i went to our ops guy and just said hey if coach Marcel is asking can you just tell him i had to run back to my dad's to get something and uh you know at, at the time i didn't know what the whole process of auditioning was but um showed up literally dressed like a college football coach and uh, the, the casting director said, hey, what have you done? I said, uh, acting-wise? She's like, yeah. I said, oh, nothing. I'm just a quarterback coach at a college up the street. I'm like, do you want me to read those things you sent me? She's like, no, those things are called sides, and we'd like you to improv. You're a drill instructor at the State Police Academy. So for me, it was just like running a position meeting. I just, you know, who knows what came out of my mouth, but it was, you know, I moved around and just spoke loud and direct and, Left and 10 minutes later, got a phone call asking if I could be at the Ritz Carlton to read in front of the director, you know, and that's uh, before GPS. So I'm calling my buddy, asking him to map quest me to the old Ritz Carlton. I show up, they bring me up to a room, ask a guy, there's like five guys dressed as cops. And there I am dressed like a college football coach. And uh, guys are pacing around like they're waiting for their kid to be born. And I just say, hey, what are we, what are we doing? And he said, uh, we're reading for the director. I said, yeah, that's what I heard, but who is it? And he said, Martin Scorsese. Fast, fast forward, I walk, I'm the last one to go. I walk into a room, Martin Scorsese sitting in a seat. I walk in, he introduces himself to me. I introduce himself, you know, I introduce myself. And the casting director's like, hey, you were very, very authentic. But, you know, on camera, you don't want to really move around. And Jim, at that point, I don't know what came out of my mouth. I said whatever I said and tried to get out of the, that suite. He stopped me and said, hey, can I ask you a question? He said, have you ever acted before? And I said, no. And he said, well, listen, I really appreciate you coming in. And that was the first taste uh, of acting that I got. Hey, listen, life is hard. Life is stressful. But you do not want to let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. And I'm talking about all of us. Whether you're an elite athlete or maybe somebody like me just trying to make through the day tension-free, Theragun can help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. And the Gen 4 Theragun does not just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. This product is amazing. And it's used by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes as well, like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers like you and me. If you don't have it yet, try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. I'm telling you, I have mine. I love it. Go to therabody.com reinvention right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. Once again, Therabody dot com slash reinvention that's therabody.com slash reinvention i'm telling you i love the product and i know you will too 
I mean, Scott, it's it's an absolutely astonishing story. Like, it's crazy. I mean, it's a wild, wild story. I mean, if you were to go back, and that, that whole thing about they told you, can you move around a little bit less? I mean, you were a football player. You were a football coach. There's constant movement. you got to motivate guys, right? I would imagine in front of a camera they want you to be still. But, I mean, if you were to go back and think about that, I mean, what do you – what's going through your head when you're in front of Martin Scorsese? Like, are you in a state of shock, or did the athlete in you kick in – or really, maybe is there just no playbook or anything in your background to prepare yourself for something like that? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think there was a playbook. But you know, it's one of those things where, you know, as we all reinvent ourselves, I've I played that over my head a hundred times. Where, you know, just to be in that moment with an icon like that in any field, but especially in the entertainment, the films that that he's done and the the people he's led is, I appreciate it more now. It's like playing for my dad. I don't know if I quite understood how cool that was in high school and college. But as you get older and you, you, you reinvent yourself and you change, um, what a moment that was. But I I would pay to see that audition, Jim. You know? Yeah, I, I love, Scott, that you can just kind of incorporate reinvention into the conversation because that's what this is about. That's what I want to talk to you about. Now, if you're in front of Martin Scorsese, I'm guessing it was for a pretty prominent movie. What was the movie and did you know at that time? Uh, I didn't know what it was, but it was The Departed. Um, you know, it was a drill instructor role in the beginning of the movie. Uh, I think one of Mark Wahlberg's buddies got it, you know, hats off to him. But, um, you know, I think that at that point, I don't know if I would have been ready to, you know, fully dive into that. I mean, obviously it would have been awesome to get, but I think things happen for a reason. So just to be in that situation eventually gave me the um, courage, I guess, to change and leave college football you know the first time okay this is where i was going next like you don't get that role but the experience obviously was incredible how did that impact your thinking on what your mission or your purpose actually was or could or should be well i think you know at that point it was like to get in front of somebody at that level with no headshot literally no clue what i was doing um it intrigued me and then they were casting the the rock was doing um the movie the game plan and they were shooting in boston and um you know i had gone in for that somebody had recommended me for that and he ended up blowing a kill his achilles so they never shot it at that point but then they ended up i was working boston college's football camp in the summer our secretary calls me when i was coaching at harvard and she's like hey dunkin donuts is shooting a commercial with richard seymour and the patriots they want a real coach nobody from the patriots will do it Nobody from BC will do it. I'm like, I'll go audition. So I went in audition. That's how I ended up getting into the Screen Actors Guild. And once I did that, I was like, you know what? I don't know why this is coming into my life, but, you know, I can always go back to be a football coach. Um, You know, I was born into the game. I've got a cool little resume. You may have to go back a couple steps or a couple divisions, but, you know, I'm 30 years old. If I don't do this right now, um, you know, I, I will regret it for the rest of my life. All right, so this is really interesting. Scott, in the sense, like, the Dunkin' Donuts, of all things, would play such a critical role in your career and your life. But that point you just made that, like, I don't know why these things are happening, but I'm 30. And if I don't take a shot, I'm going to regret it. I'm kind of curious, like, and and I'm sure you've given thought to this. Why do you think that those opportunities and that life presented itself when it did at that age? For instance, do you think that maybe somehow you manifested that? Or frankly, was it blind luck and good fortune? You know, uh, probably a little of everything. But, you know, I was at a point where I just got out of a relationship, not my doing. I had turned down. I had the opportunity to go to work uh, at Kansas State to go uh worked for James Franklin when he was the offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. when Josh Freeman was the quarterback, basically get offered the job. I'm staring out my window at Harvard. It's a complete blizzard in the middle of the winter. They want me to get on a plane the next day to go to see Kansas state. And I'm like, you know what? I just, I have no idea. The world is spinning around and sometimes you got to just trust the process. I didn't understand at that point, everything in my life, you know, up to that point was wins and losses, results driven, But the universe did me a favor and it showed me that, you know, I needed to trust the universe, trust the process and resign at Harvard out of the blue and get in my car and 
drive out to try to be an actor in California. I mean, Scott, easier said than done, right? I mean, right now, yeah. as you look back, of course, you did the right thing, but much easier said than done, especially when you have a good, secure thing at Harvard, when you're looking at a really good opportunity, potentially, at K-State. I think we'd all agree that some things are just better done at home. They just are, like sleeping in your own bed, pausing movies whenever you want. I don't know, maybe dancing like no one's watching. Some things are just better at home sweet home. Another example, Peloton. Peloton delivers a workout experience that you'd never imagine was possible right in your own home. This is what I love about my Peloton. When I finish my workday, I come home and I don't need to bust out and go to the gym. I have a gym. It's in my home, the Peloton. And not only do I love the convenience of it, there is so much more to it. So many different rides, so many different instructors. You can engage socially with other people as they take their rides. And it's a perfect fit to my lifestyle. The Peloton is right there. In fact, I like my Peloton so much, I got a second one for a vacation home in Wisconsin. I am never without my bike. With the Peloton bike, there is nothing like working out from home, and you can learn more yourself at OnePeloton.com. New members can try Peloton classes for free for 30 days at OnePeloton.com slash app. Terms do apply. That's O-N-E-P-E-L-O-T-O-N.com, OnePeloton.com. I'm curious, what did those around you think and say about you taking a shot, just getting in your car, going to Hollywood, and taking that long shot as an actor. What was the reaction to the people who mattered most to you back then? I mean, at that point, it was my family. And, you know, I think everybody's question, what did, what did your dad say? And, right. You know, the, the greatest thing about my dad is it's, it's his typical line. He said, you know, I just want you and your sister to be happy. And if that's getting in your car and going out to Hollywood, I'll miss you. But, you know, I want you two to be happy. And, at that point, Jim, I didn't know if I was going to be happy, sad, mad, what, but, um, you know, everybody for the most part was awesome. And I remember going into Coach Murphy's office, you know, it's July, right, late. I mean, it's probably career suicide to resign at a college coaching job in July. And I remember going in and I just, you know, you're a younger coach and, you know, Murph is obviously established at Harvard. And I just told him what I was going to do. It was that awkward dead air silence. He looked at me, gave me a high five and said, go for it. So, you know, everybody was really as, as awesome as they could be. And um, again, I've been grateful to to work for some unbelievable people in the coaching profession and, um, you know, have mentored me, you know, starting with my dad and everybody else. So, you know, I'm grateful to have some unbelievable people in my life. Jim. You know, it also, Scott, it helps to have those people react that way when you're going to make a decision like that. Maybe it would not have impacted you another way, but it certainly helps to know that you had their blessing and their support. I'm curious about this. Like, other people might be faced with something like that and might not pull the trigger. Was your greatest fear taking the shot, failing, and having to come home to a bunch of people who said, told you so, what the hell were you even thinking? Or maybe it was the greatest fear, fear of regret, fear of looking back, knowing that, man, I never had the balls to take that shot. Yeah, I mean, it would definitely be not having the balls to take a shot. I mean, I think it's, you know, I'm from a small town, you know, and I think, you know, had traveling around, you know, as a college coach, I've lived everywhere. And, you know, there's a lot of people, Jim, that have dreams, but at whatever point in their life, you know, whether they have a family, they don't have enough money, they can't just go chase a dream like I was able to do. So, you know, there's been some plenty of ups and a ton of downs in my journey over the last 14 years. But what always has kept me going, especially in the down times, is I was fortunate, lucky, blessed, whatever you want to use for a word to basically get in my car with $5,000 and go chase a dream. And, you know, when times get tough, I just think about all the people. It's like the old, you know, Hoosiers analogy, you know, let's win this for everybody that, you know, couldn't be here, whatever they say at the end of Hoosiers. And that's how I felt growing up in a small town is, you know, I'm doing this for everybody else that, that wish they could just do whatever their dream was. I get the opportunity to go chase mine. See, the thing, Scott, also what I'm hearing, and this is really important, it's like, yeah, you did it, and you've made it, and you've had some really nice roles, but that doesn't mean that it was seamless, and it doesn't mean that it was easy, and I would imagine it doesn't even mean that it's easy right now. As an example, when you first got here, especially coming from a small town and living in a different world altogether, what were those first few months or even years like when you arrived in this town and you tried to cut your teeth as an actor? Yeah, I, you know, I tried to use all my coaching connections, right? I knew I was leaving. So, 
you know, I got a bunch of, um, I knew a lot of people from the Ivy league were in the entertainment business. So right away. And again, not knowing anything, I came out of the gate, tried to, you know, wheel and deal every connection I could. Um, but you know, you think you're going to go from coaching the D line at Harvard to be on a billboard like Tom Cruise. Well, you know, that might happen to one in 10 million people, but it wasn't happening to Scott Ruggles. I can tell you that. So, um, I had no idea what was going on, Jim, as I, as I made that transition, but I knew I was going to try to figure it out. And I learned quickly that Hollywood is definitely a marathon, not a sprint. And, um, you know, I've had to, again, just to keep using that reinventing, reinventing myself word pretty much from the minute I got in my car. And it, it's been a process for 14 years, man. I don't think you ever stop reinventing yourself, whether it's as a coach, an actor, producer, whatever it is, but it's been a, been an interesting journey from the minute I got here. It's been amazing. And, and I just, again, I love this notion that you continue to reinvent yourself because, and I want to get to this specifically in a few moments, Scott, but I mean, there are some that would argue that it's really true. True reinvention is not possible. And when I started doing this podcast, again, I mentioned I'm older than you. I'm in my 50s. I These are the things that I think about. This is what I'm trying to do myself. And I'm just kind of living this journey. So this whole notion of reinvention is really, really interesting to me. I want to talk a little bit more about your career and your journey and then I'll get to that specifically for instance your biggest role arguably is Rick Wilson in All American on Netflix what about that gig how did you land that gig um again it goes back to relationships so one of the first things I got cast in was a short film um that in Katie Carroll the showrunner now on All American she was transfer transferred from I think the banking world she was a pen grad and she had written a short and was going to be one of the leads in it. And, you know, we met there. I, we, I did her movie. I was one of the male leads. She was the female lead and wrote it. And then we had stayed in touch. And ironically, her husband ended up um, as a swim coach at Harvard Westlake, where I was the head football coach. And then I'm at UCLA and I auditioned for the for season one, literally run from the practice field. Um, and literally just can't remember my lines. It was like playing a high school coach. I literally arrived right from UCLA's practice and I can't speak English. And I'm like, well, that was, that was all for nothing. And she wasn't the showrunner at that point. I think she was just one of the executive producers. Fast forward, we are on the plane going to Washington state and I get a message saying, Hey, I want you to audition for the show. We have a cool role. And I was like, great. We got back. I auditioned. And uh, got the role, and I think it i think it was supposed to be one episode, maybe. It ended up being four. And we got the, you know, Coach Kelly was in it, a bunch of guys from the staff. Got the film on campus. And for me, you know, getting cast in multiple episodes on a show, it gives you some credibility. Um, so I'm grateful for the opportunity that All-American has given me. All right, so two things right there. One, relationships obviously do matter. And two, don't tell me reinvention's not possible when she was in the banking industry and ultimately became a showrunner and helped you get that thing. Like, Scott, that point, though, that you made about I came running over and I just I couldn't remember any of my lines. Like, there's this whole thing, and you know this as an athlete and a coach, the old saying that preparation breeds confidence. It is true, but it doesn't guarantee confidence, obviously not if the story is the way I think it is, the one you just told, like, have you gone into situations where you know you did everything in your power to prepare, and yet in the moment you were still overcome by either anxiety or nerves? What do you do in those moments to quickly turn it around and snap that process or that chain? Well, I think, you know, the first time I auditioned for All-American, there was no there was no real going back. I mean, it was just one of those, you just sometimes you have a bad day, right? The, the defense is better than the offense. Offense is better than the defense. The the camera was just better than I was that day. Um, and I think, you know, growing now, I think you got to just, everybody screws up. I mean, right. Whether it's on the field, off the field, in an audition on set, like nobody's perfect. And I think it's just staying calm, you know, and in my past, I probably would have had like a meltdown, right. I would have lost my mind. Um, but again, you know, we'll dig on this later, but I, you know, 37, I, changed. I needed to change in life. And, you know, some things I did truly helped me prepare more for the, the downs of losing games or Hollywood because I could just let it go, man, and just realize that nobody's perfect. But I probably did not give off a great first impression 
my early years in Hollywood when I would screw up. All right, I'm going to follow you up on that in one second, the point that at 37 or 38, you had to really change. Before that, though, I want to ask you this, because then, again, there are people who might have a dream, and you were fortunate, as you point out, that you weren't, like, tethered to a family or kids. Like, you had this freedom where you could take your shot. There are others that maybe have that freedom or don't, and they want to take a shot, but they don't for whatever reason. As an example, even though you weren't tethered, you were a head coach at Harvard Westlake. Now, I grew up in the Valley, so I understand this pretty clearly. That's a power. That's a great job for a head coach. I went to Calabasas High School, so 818 for life, baby, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, while you were chasing the dream, you always had that athletic base that you could fall back on in leaner times if necessary. But again, this is a different program in a different school, and they didn't want you chasing that dream on the side. So for a time, you didn't. For a few years, in fact, right? What was it like to have that dream and not be able to pursue it? Uh, well, you know, first off, the uh, the opportunity they gave me is somehow forever be grateful for. Uh, you know, chance to be a head coach, like you said, at a prestigious high school, and that changed my life in so many ways. But, you know, there was a couple things in life that uh, sort of hindered me acting. You know, it was relationships. You know, I think you're the head coach at Harvard Westlake in any sport. You know, it's a prestigious job. They probably don't want you to, you know, be the football coach and then go try to be on All-American or do these other things because, you know, maybe they don't think you have time. I don't know what the, the rationale was, but I did leave acting for a bit. And I think that really just went to where I was in my life. I think the thing I've learned is, you know, you look at people on the outside, you know, people tell you not to judge a book by its cover. But if you looked at me on the outside, I had a great life, right? Head coach at Harvard Westlake, trying to do the acting, doing all these things. Life appeared good, but in reality, it wasn't good. And, um, you know, it took some things happening in my life where I was, you know, there was times, Jim, where I was a certified grade A lunatic as, as a head football coach at Harvard Westlake and was totally unaware of my actions. And, you know, same thing in relation relationships. You know, I'm, I'm treating these women well, but yet they're ending the relationship. Well, who's the common theme? And thank God at 37, I was able to connect the dots that life wasn't as good as it appeared. And few things, many things have helped me that continue to help me every day, but I'm not smart enough to know the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. I know one can give you medicine, one can't. So I just say shrink. A woman in Beverly Hills changed my life. Um, at 37, you know, again, it was, we were growing up, it was taboo to go seek help, right? As a male, especially from, you know, outside of Boston, you just shut your mouth, kept your feelings inside and went about life. Well, I knew that it was time to look in the mirror. And at 37, I did that, um, went to seek professional help, got into meditation and yoga. And it literally from that day was the true uh, reinvention of myself that continues every day. And I'm grateful for for those things and the people that helped me truly change for the better. All right, so it's an amazing thing, right? This happened when you were 37 or 38. When you saw this therapist, whether she was a psychologist or psychiatrist, either way, exactly what did she say to you that got you to think or change your life? Well, a couple of things. Well, just to, just to give you a brief, like I said, I, I, I came from an unbelievable family. And one day my parents get divorced, right? Shocked my sister and I. You know, my dad was gone coaching, so my mom taught us how to do a lot of things. And about six months later, we have a meeting, you know, a family meeting, and my mom comes out and tells my sister and I she's gay. Now, I love my mother, but when you're 11 years old in small-town America, you don't really have a playbook at that point in life how to deal with that. And I looked at my mother and basically said, you are effing dead to me as like an 11-year-old kid and left got in the car with my dad. He asked me if I wanted to talk about it. And I said, no, and literally buried a huge part of my life with my mother that day. Um, and didn't understand how stuff that happens to us as children, you know, maybe nobody dies, but we all go through something in our childhood, but that certain thing affected me with anger, with, you know, women, you name it. It affected me. Not that I was being a complete jerk, but there was, I was unaware of how things from my childhood, that being a big one, truly, it was like the 11 year old kid never, you know, rebounded from that news or didn't understand what gay meant, didn't understand how to deal with that, right? There was truly no playbook for that. 
And, you know, what the, what the woman in Beverly Hills did, she made me aware, Jim, of, of all of those things. And it, it, the last thing, the gut punch for me was she said, you've been very fortunate enough to have some cool things in your life with sports and entertainment. But how many of those things do you think you actually took time to enjoy? And it was like somebody punched me in the gut because the answer was none. I was always looking ahead, looking behind. It was about results. Did I win? Did I lose? Did I get the role? Did I get the whatever you wanted to get? And I was just slowly spiraling out of control. Um, but she made me aware. And every morning I meditate, I call it MAP, M-A-P-P. I want to be mindful, aware, present, and prepared of myself because it starts with me. But more importantly, I want to be map of other people and my surroundings. And ever since I've started to do that, Jim, some really cool things have come in my life. It's, you know, you got to do it every day. It's never going to never gonna end, right? It's the journey of reinventing yourself every day. But those things I took out of it and ultimately just became aware of my childhood, where I was at the time, where I wanted to go. And uh, I'm grateful for that, man. I'm truly grateful that I gave myself the gift to look in the mirror. You know, it, it is such an honest and transparent response, uh, Scott. I really appreciate that. I respect that. And I feel the same way. Like, I feel like I've had a number of amazing things that have happened in my life personally and professionally. Man, man, you're so caught up. You're so caught up in the pursuit of it. You're so caught up in competing. You're so caught up in trying to be this or get to the next level that you're not mindful. You're not present. You're not enjoying it. And I admit it. I, I have regrets that I thought that I was, but now as I look back, I could have enjoyed it so much more if I'd been so much more present and, you know, better to figure it out late than never, but you got to figure it out at some point, right? Like, I'm curious, if you don't have that conversation with that therapist that day or at any point, are you and I having this conversation right now? No, absolutely not. I'm, I'm not at UCLA. I'm not acting. I don't know where I am, but at some point, you know, it's like, it's, I tell kids, you know, at UCLA, I, you know, and, and whatever, wherever I was coaching, like, it's okay to talk to people, right? You know, the problem we, we, we do as a society, especially men, is we put band-aids on, man, and ultimately band-aids break. And I was a band-aid, a walking band-aid, Jim, that at any point was going to literally rip at the seams, and who the hell knows where it was going to end up. It wouldn't have been good. So ultimately, what happened between you and your mom? You know, I literally, it's like my part of myself and my mother's relationship died that day. And it, it had nothing to do with me not loving her, her not loving me. But, you know, it's the circumstances, you know, you're in small town America. You're the, you're the wife of the successful high school coach. You know, we didn't know, we didn't know how to handle that. You know, I can only imagine how hard it was for my mom, you know, but I, I did David Nurse's podcast, who I, I know you've met, and he asked me if, there, if I could have dinner with three people, who would they be, alive or dead? And I said, if I could go back to when I was 11 years old, I would have dinner with my mom because, you know, there's so many things I would want to say at that point. And it, 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 I had anger, Jim, because I was an 11-year-old kid that, you know, the first woman you love is your mother, right? And my mother broke my heart. Um, and I, but it, not on purpose, right? She was just going through things that I couldn't imagine going through, um, being, you know, a gay woman in small town America, in Massachusetts, you know, there was no playbook for her. And, you know, our relationship is, is good now. I respect what my mother did because again, I, I don't care if you're white, blue, black, green, gay, not everybody deserves to be who they are and be happy. And, you know, I just didn't, we weren't educated enough at that point and that's part of the things why I'm very open with that, because I know kids deal with that. Kids have two dads, two moms, all these things. And, and if I can, you know, help a kid get through or understand that it's OK to, you know, be the son or daughter of a gay man or a gay woman, you know, it's I, but we just didn't have a playbook for that back then. And going to talk to professionals back in that time was taboo and it, it was not comfortable and um, just held a lot of stuff in that I that I, you know, want people to learn from the things that I didn't have growing up. But I love my mother. And like I said, I, I respect a lot of people, but what she did back then, man, she had way more balls than most people I know. And, um, took a lot of courage to do what she did. A ton of courage, a ton of courage. That could not have been easy 
uh, for her, for you, for anybody. And yeah, I mean, I did not grow up like that. I actually have family in Boston, so I'm not going to say I know because I grew up in California. I mean, that, in, in a lot of ways, it's kind of, it, it doesn't matter per se. I mean, it matters where you grew up, right? Because you are a product of your environment. But I can imagine at that time how challenging it must have been. Scott, I've heard you also tell folks that if you really do want to get better and you really do want to reinvent and you really want to improve your life, you like to say you have to win your mind, and that if yeah. you win your mind, you win your freedom. What do you mean by that? What does that mean exactly? Well, I think you know we our, our mind never. It's like a hamster wheel, right? It always goes, and you know a lot of times you know we're all actors, right? We all portray that you know we want to be this person or be that person, but when it's just you and your mind, you really know if you're doing well, you're doing you're having a tough day, um, you know. But one of the things meditation changed my life, and you know, being able to calm your mind, like you talk about, if I could go back to audition for Martin Scorsese, would I be nervous? Of course I would. I think anybody would, but I would be so much more prepared because I, I, again, I've, I've gone to people, professionals to learn how to meditate and found my own niche that as I've calmed my mind, that's when I've won. And, you know, that might be, you know, you know, you, I'm sure, Jim, you've had outbursts. I've had outbursts where our feelings and emotions, we can't control them. And I meditate on a lot of things, but one of them is never get angry anymore and just step off the elevator and take a breath because whatever we get angry about is not worth it. So there's so many things that can go into win your mind, win your freedom, but like anything else, man, it's a process to win your mind. And it's never, it's never, it's a never ending journey. So for me, it just was my own way of like, when you truly win your mind, you're comfortable in your own skin and you know that you're improving or trying to be the best version of yourself every day in your mind, then you're going to win regardless of what the scoreboard says. Let me ask you this. It seems to me, and this is the same concept, it's, it's, I'm going to state this a little bit differently, but and it's not an original thought of mine, of course, but it comes, it comes down to something being simple but not easy, this whole notion of winning your mind. It's kind of like your mind needs to be stronger than your feelings, and if you can train yourself to do that, to your point, Scott, I think you're going to win a lot more often than you lose, but how long did it take you to get there if, in fact, you're there yet? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I'm not even close to being there. But I think as men, Jim, for whatever reason, when it involves ego and feelings and we move those to the forefront, we're going to probably lose more than we win, right? And I think for me, it was, you know, being able to control, I guess, like an, it's like an addiction. Like, you know, I loved confrontation since I was a kid. You want a confrontation? Great. Let's go. I love it. And what you realize, again, going back to reinvent yourself, not everybody, especially in California, likes confrontation, right? And, um, you know, everything I used to do was, um, was emotion-based, ego. And, you know, not being able to control that was weakness. I didn't know it at the time because I was totally unaware. But doing the meditation every day, knowing that I'm never going to be a pro at it, it just centers you every day. You start the day off as good as you possibly can, and you have a chance to win every day because your mind is right. Hmm. Scott, there's another time, too, and you talk about how you're the beneficiary of so many people who have helped you. You actually, and as a coach, you understood this, you had coaching as an actor. You probably still have coaching as an actor. There was a husband-wife team that you were working with, and something happened one night, and specifically with the wife, that also kind of changed your trajectory. What was that? Yeah. You know, it, as a coach, Jim, I had a ton of mentors, right? I, you know, I'd never been a head coach till I got out here. So you're working for some iconic people, whether it's coach Kelly, Bob Pruitt, Tim Murphy, I've, I've worked for some unbelievable people, but I didn't have any mentors in acting. Right. And when I got the head job at Harvard Westlake, you know, the, I knew they didn't want the acting. Right. And, you know, but I was like, man, this is, this is a tough deal. I came out here to be an actor. So I knew she would not, you know, BS me. And I went in, her name's Alice Carter. I love her to death. I said, Alice, I just got a prestigious high school job that is going to take up a lot of time. It's, you know, life-changing money, life-changing opportunity. I need you to be honest because I don't have any mentors in the acting world. You know, you and your husband have been the closest thing I have to any. I need you to tell me and look me in the eye and give me your honest assessment if I can do this for a living. And she literally said, I beg you, 
do not give up acting. You can do this. And, you know, Jim, like sometimes, you know, when we were kids or our generation, people, the adults just told you to run through a wall because they were in charge. Right. And, you know, at times, you know, I, I'm guilty of ripping kids heads off and going in with the, you know, run through the wall. Cause I'm the head coach mentality. Well, that doesn't work in today's world, man. And I, I, I believe that you can coach people hard in any business as long as they know you care and you love them. And, you know, I just needed that little love and encouragement and man, how something that was probably a three to five minute conversation truly, truly changed my life. I mean, Scott, I, I could keep firing questions at you and I've got a few more. I want to be respectful of your time, but so much of this is so interesting to me. Like in terms of your improvement as an actor, because you did get started later in life, what was more important to your development? For instance, was it the work that you did on your craft or maybe was it the work you did on yourself? You know, I, I probably have to say myself, obviously the craft of acting, like, you know, again, many, as we went through this journey, I remember when I first got here, I'd, I'd jump in and out of acting classes. I didn't have any money making excuses. And somebody said to me, you know, you're a coach and you act, right? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm an actor. And he said, well, are you studying with anybody? Do you get, you know, private teaching? I said, oh, no, not right now. And he said, "If would you ever play in a football game or coach in a football game if you didn't practice? And noted, never, never missed a beat on that. But where life really began to change, because I think once you sort start to understand who you are, right, good, bad, or different, whatever that person is, that comes out in your roles. That comes out in you know, being able to memorize lines. Like, talk about, like, you know, mind is clear. You know, when I went in to read for the first audition for, like I said, All-American, I couldn't speak English. And, you know, that when I got the opportunity to do it again, I was in a better place as a person, but I had learned to meditate better and be able to not take away my nerves, but, you know, control them for the time and be in the moment and nothing else mattered. So it, the, the long-winded version... Both, but I think personally, it's truly helped me um, be much better as an actor. See, Scott, and this also goes to the point where every coach in the history of the world will talk about them, what you're talking about, eliminate distractions, eliminate distractions. Like there's not a day in my life, in my sports life, where a coach or an athlete does not say to me, focus on the process, not the result. In fact, you hear it so often, you start to kind of tune it out and it seems cliche, but it really isn't. In fact, it's not just a sports thing. It's a life thing. Why is it in your mind so critical for everybody in or out of sports to focus on the process and not the result? And what does that mean to you? Well, you know, I, I think when you just focus on the wins and losses, right, there's sometimes, you know, you can, you can play your best game, but, you know, something maybe out of your control, you know, didn't allow you to, to win. Um, and the same thing in life. You know, I think, you know, getting to work for Coach Kelly, man, is has been a godsend from, you know, back in the day till now. Like, it's like being around uh, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and, and you, you listen to the tidbits and, you know, obviously nobody questions his football mind, right? He's one of the best around. But the nuggets that I get daily from him, man, I can't put a price tag on. And he talks about the process. And like you said, a lot of people, when we're younger, we tune it out. But it really is all about the process. And for me, I'll just use the acting, you know, it was, you know, 99% of the time, you're going to, they're going to tell you, no, like you didn't get this role. So I, when, as I started to improve and, and reinvent myself, I wanted to go in and give the best audition I could. I'm not, you know, auditioning for, you know, Rick Wilson, I'm going to audition for the room, the casting people, the producers, anybody that will be able to just see me because I might not be, they might want a guy with a full head of hair. I, I unfortunately can't do that. So, you know, I've changed my whole mentality on and off the field of like, I'm going to go be the best version I can in whatever I'm doing, whether it's business auditioning and I may lose good chance. I'm going to lose, but all of a sudden the phone may ring. Perfect example of all American. I didn't give a great audition, but I, you know, sh you know, in case she had seen me act before, and through the process, I got another audition and I, it was a better role and goes back to things happen for a reason. I wasn't ready to be in All-American a couple of years before, but with all the self-work and, and mentors I have, I was ready when the second door opened. 
You know, and also, Scott, to that point, I think that a number of the people listening to this right now know about my sports talk show and have come over here, but there's some people who haven't. We're talking about Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly is the head coach at UCLA. Chip Kelly, you and he go way back to your days at New Hampshire together when you were just 23 and he was the offensive coordinator and you were working with the tight ends, but he's an iconic and legendary coach. And to this day, you are a working actor, very successfully so. You've also gotten into producing, but you're still the director of football ops for UCLA. What does that entail, and why do you do that? So what I what I have, so we have we have a director of football ops. I'm the director of football relations. So okay. it's a it's a a job that you know was chip created to where you know it can be you know Jimmy Khan came to practice the other day, so I get to sit with Sonny Corleone and and talk with him for two hours to, you know, having lunch with our kids and talking about internships, talking about stocks. Um, you know, when I first came on board with Chip, he said, listen, I think, you know, you have an opportunity, you know, because you're a high school coach, you can relate to these kids, you know, a little different than a, than a current college coach kid. So, you know, I might, you know, kid might be having a bad day. I might get to spend time with them and try to help them because, you know, you know, maybe they don't want to go talk to their position coach or, you know, they don't want to go talk to, to Chip. They need just a, a different voice, right? So could be doing that to, you know, uh, you know, getting restaurants, you know, we're going to go to this restaurant. We have recruits in really a little bit of everything. And that's why it works. Obviously, if I was on the field doing the X's and O's, I could never do, you know, the foot, the acting stuff. So the job I have is, you know, sort of goes hand in hand with, with the town we're in. You know, I've no, I know a lot of people from my Harvard Westlake days and the entertainment days and UCLA has opened up doors and they've all connected. And, you know, I'm grateful for, you know, Chip UCLA, our new athletic director Martin is outstanding, you know, and like I said to you, man, it's, I get to learn every day, not just from, from Martin and Chip and, and the guys on our staff, but our kids, man. And I think that's the, the underestimation people make is that the adults, you know, the ones that are always teaching lessons. Well, man, you can learn some great things from kids, too. Hmm. Also, it seems to me, Scott, and listening to you, gratitude obviously is a really important thing that you learned, and you have plenty of that, and that's something we all got to work on. Two quick things before you go that I find really interesting. Like, you played quarterback in college, but I've also heard you say that you're in the best shape of your life right now in your 40s. Like, how is that possible and why? What's your approach in terms of nutrition and exercise at this point in your life, and why are you at your best physically right now? Well, you know, I mean, I think that just the, the big thing is yoga, right? I mean, I think we're all beat up from, from our playing days. And, um, you know, I think back in the day, we, you know, you didn't know anything. You just lifted weights. You didn't know anything about eating. Um, but the thing that truly changed my body, because it was beat up, you know, from playing in college and playing, you know, being an option quarterback, it took a lot of hits. Um, so for me, it was truly the mind and yoga. And I'll give you one tidbit. So when Chip first got to, to school, he had, there was a doctor that was working with the military for guys with PTSDs dealing with concussions where they would scan your brain. And there was, there was ways to potentially realign and, and help, you know, with PTSD and concussions and all that stuff. Well, some of us on staff did it. And I was scared out of my mind to put that EKG on my brain because, you know, when I was at Harvard Westlake, I'd start having some short-term memory stuff and just, again, adding into the, the things in my life. And I was one of the last ones to go. And I remember walking down, laying on the, the table. The woman put the thing on my head. And about a minute in, she starts laughing. And I was like, well, you know, she's going to tell me I have no brain and life is going to be not good. She said, I have one question for you. And she said, do you meditate? Hmm. And I said, uh, I do. What does that have to do with it? She said, you have the most aligned brain of anybody we've scanned. And they say that meditation naturally helps the brain heal and align. And from that point on, meditation and yoga became one of the biggest things in my life. And I think my body has healed, especially not with the stress of being a on-the-field coach, but with the meditation and the yoga gym, I think it truly fixed my body. Scott, I've always kind of resisted, not kind of, I just have meditation. And part of the reason for it is, it's not that I don't believe in it. it one, it's hard. All right. First of all, it's hard. I used to work out with a guy 
who was a Navy SEAL, a guy by the name of Richard Makowitz, and I, I adore the guy. I loved him, and he was just the fiercest, toughest guy I'd ever met. And he was a black belt, and he was a Navy SEAL, and we would start every session by meditating. And he would have me sit there for five minutes, and we couldn't think of a single thing. Like, you had to clear your mind, and if something came to your mind, he'd make me start over. And I just I thought it was a pain in the ass, honestly. It's not that I didn't believe. It just was hard. But that story you just told, that's absolutely amazing that she could look at that scan and know that you meditate. How often a day do you meditate to have that kind of result? Well, like Jim, the same thing. Like when I was at Harper Westlake, one of the things they paid for me to go get real training in meditation. And it was not for me. Way too long. Kumbaya. Couldn't do it. Couldn't sit still. And I met some other people. And what I realized is, you know, you, you know what the goal of meditation is. But like everything else, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, it's the definition of insanity. So I'm like, I know I do yoga in the morning. So I'm going to find something, you know, that works for me. I use, you know, my map deal where I just repeat, you know, what I want to do, being aware. I say some things I want to improve on. And then for about a minute, I just focus on my breath and then yoga class starts. So I do about two and a half to three minutes every morning and that's it. And I, cause I can't sit still for 20, 30, 40 minutes, just not, doesn't work for me. So I just created my own little deal, you know, stole from a couple of different people found what worked for me and you know it's it's been a blessing Can you imagine a kid a kid growing up in a small town in or outside of massachusetts and growing up scott and you meditate and you practice yoga i mean shit what's next pilates you probably would be a good idea right i it would you know one of our coaches was asking me about that i've never done it i can barely still touch my toes but hey man if anything you know when i'm 80 years old i don't want to be in a wheelchair right and i just you know i think knowing what we know now and it's how we attack it now to help us, you know, for the future. Hell yeah. So my last thing, and this is the bottom line, right? So I'm into my fifties and I'm obsessed with trying to figure out how to ensure, and you tell me what you think. I really am trying to figure out how to ensure that even at this age, my best years are in fact ahead of me and not behind me. That my best work, in fact, is in front of me and not behind me. That the best version of myself is in front of me and not behind me. Hell, that my best life will be the next few decades and not the last few decades. I mean, I don't know if it's realistic, but that is my mission right now. Is that how you approach it and where do you come out? Yeah, I think, you know, it's again, it's just a mindset thing of, you know, put it in the universe. That's how I look at it. I One of the things, again, I go back to the meditation. I say, trust the universe, trust the process, believe in the process, believe in the universe. And, you know, just, you know, it, it's never too late, like you said, to, to reinvent yourself or change. And, you know, I think everybody in this, this world, Jim, wants instant gratification. Well, last time I checked, you ain't getting that. So... Everything is a process, but if you want it bad enough, just take the first step to whatever that goal is. If I didn't do that by getting in my car, let's just go all the way back to that. Like you said, I'd evaporate and this conversation will be over. So, uh, Finish that thought, Scott. You were, you were on to that. You, you were nailing that. Finish that thought. Just, you know, I think, you know, again, like talk about, you know, I got a buddy back home that has put on a ton of weight and just not really living a good life and he, and he just, he can't take that first step because he thinks he's so far gone. And I think, you know, depression's a real thing, man, right? I mean, they're like, and a lot of times it might be the the outward deal where you see they're having some issues, but a lot of time it's the, the, the poster child of perfection that you think is great that's struggling the most. And, you know, like I tell everybody, if I didn't pick up the phone and call the woman in Beverly Hills, I, I wouldn't be sitting here. And was I nervous? Was I scared? Did I want to do it? No, but I wanted to be a way better version of myself. And I knew if I didn't take the first step, I'd have no shot. Now, it's no guarantee that you get what you want by taking that first step, but you'll guarantee you're going to lose if you don't take that step, even if it's an inch. And I think whatever it is, man, you've got to just take that first step and you have a chance. It's like dumb and dumber. You're saying I have a chance. You know, he did. And, you know, at the end, it worked out well for those guys in Dumb and Dumber. 
You got to move. You got to move. You got to take that step. You got to move. Like I said, Scott, this this story, I knew it would be like this. Even though you and I have never spoken before, I knew that this was exactly, I knew this would be a great fit for this particular podcast because you truly have reinvented yourself. And even more importantly, you continue to do so. So I really appreciate the time. I really appreciate the story. Most of all, I appreciate the journey. Thanks so much for sharing that with us, Scott. That was outstanding. I think my listeners and myself personally are going to get a whole lot out of that. Awesome, Jim. I appreciate uh, you having me on, and you need me for anything, you know where to find me. So this is one of my favorite episodes to date because whereas every single episode has involved a high achiever or somebody who has overcome extraordinary obstacles, Scott, while extraordinary in his own right, is somebody that I think many of us can relate to. Somebody who had a job that he liked, and even a job that he was very good at, but somebody who also had a dream. Let's not confuse a dream with a job, or even a dream with a career. They're not one and the same. And then how many of us have that dream, actually have the balls, though, to go after the dream? Now, I do want to be very clear about something. Sometimes it's not just about having the balls or the heart to pull the trigger. Sometimes you have responsibilities and obligations that prevent you from taking that shot. Scott was very clear about that. He wasn't married. He didn't have kids. So he could afford to take that shot. But it doesn't mean that it didn't take balls to quit a stable job, risk failure and humiliation and pack up that car and come to Hollywood to take that shot as an actor. I mean, how many hundreds of thousands of people have tried that only to get their brains beaten in by this town over the years? I can even relate this to my own background. Now, my edge early on was I knew exactly what I wanted to do and the price that I was willing to pay to do it. I wanted to be a broadcaster, and I was well on my way. I had done seven internships, seven in college, but my last one ended badly, and it soured me on the business, so I lost my way. I asked my father if I could work in the family business. He said no. I stayed on him. I wore him down. And of course, once he hired me, it went horribly. I was in it for the wrong reasons. I never had a passion for the company or the product. I just wanted the old man's Jaguar and his nice house and the title. So my father, who always walked the walk and talked the talk, fired me and then asked, what are you going to do next? I said, I'm going to go into sales. He says, I just fired you because you can't sell. I said, ah, correction. I can't sell your product because it doesn't interest me, but I will find a product that I believe in and I will succeed there. He tells me it's not the product. It's the job. You're not good at it which only fueled me further to prove him wrong. Of course, he was right. I tried to sell dictation equipment. I quit after 37 days. I tried to sell telephone systems, which went just as badly. And then one day after getting kicked out of yet another office building and not being able to sell anything to anyone, I picked up the phone and I called a legendary reporter and news director in Santa Barbara where I got my start. A guy who gave me one of those internships. A guy by the name of John Palminteri. I call him from a payphone, I want to say back in 1987. Palminteri was thrilled to hear from me and booms out, Jim Rome, how the hell are you? I said, my man, I am horrible. I'm getting destroyed. I am a failure. I'm miserable. I'm broken. I can't sell shit. I can't do shit. Do you have any work at all available? Now remember, I bailed on my dream after one bad experience, and I chased something that I had never dreamed of, the family business. Palminteri says to me, funny you should call. I do have a gig. There's a college kid who's going on Christmas vacation. He's a traffic reporter for us. The gig is 30 hours a week, 5 bucks an hour, no benefits, and no guarantee beyond that month. The kid, in all likelihood, is going to get his gig back after Christmas break. Do you want it, Rome? I said, hell yes, I want it, and I took it on the spot. So I explained my decision to my father. He says, how the hell are you going to live on five bucks an hour, 30 hours a week with a guarantee of only one month? I said, I have no idea how I'm going to live on that. I just know I'm dying right here and I've got to take my shot and I will figure it out once I get up there. I punked out and gave up on the dream once before. And like Scott Ruggles said, if you don't take the shot, 
you will forever regret not having the courage or the heart to at least pull the trigger. So I moved to Santa Barbara with renewed vigor and perspective and the dream once again intact. And then I went to war with myself and that dream every single day. Now, I will say, having the balls to take the shot does not guarantee it will happen, but not having them to pull the trigger guarantees that it won't. You have to bet on yourself. You have to take that shot. And if it doesn't happen, you can live with yourself. But if you don't, then you have to live with regret. And as we all know, that is one of the worst things of all. Hope you got something out of this episode of the Reinvention Project. If so, please feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and share because all those things happen to affect the bottom line in a positive way. My thanks to Scott Ruggles for sharing his amazing story, and thank you for joining me on this journey as we try to get better every single day and discover what it means to truly reinvent ourselves. Have an amazing week, and I will see you next time right here on the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.